Hello and welcome to Unit 1.2, the Universal Hero, Heracles slash Hercules. There are two names here because our hero has a Greek name and a Roman name. Heracles, the Greek name, Hercules, the Roman name. You can use either. What, you mean even if you're talking about the Greek one, you can use, say, Hercules? The examiner would like you, and you'll get sort of uh, on their side if you can talk about Heracles when you're talking about him being Greek and Hercules when he's Roman. But the examiner has said they'll accept either name. Great. Now, how many prescribed sources are there for this topic, Mr Watkins? There are four prescribed sources. The first one is the Homeric Hymn to Hercules the Lion-Hearted, quadruple H. That's a very short poem that you should go and read um, as soon as you've listened to this to remind yourself of him. And that's in the OCR Sources booklet again, isn't it? Exactly. Um, The next source you need is visual, and that is the 12 metopes or metopes, which are on the temple of Zeus at Olympia. We'll talk more about that temple itself in the next chapter on temples. But for now, we'll talk in this module, we'll talk about how to analyse those metopes, metopes. The next two sources are literary. And again, they can be found in your OCR booklet. And those are by Roman authors. And that is uh, Virgil and Ovid. Great. So um, shall we start with talking um, about uh, the labours then? Let's get straight into labours. Well, just before we do the labours, let's explain that um, Hercules was the product of uh, Zeus cheating on his sister wife again, which meant that Hera was very jealous of his existence. And throughout his life, Hera um, made his life very challenging. Now, one way you can remember it was Hera, if you're trying to think of which god it is, of course, is that the first four word, four letters of Heracles are Hera. So therefore, there is a, a, a link in there. OK, um, so let's uh, take the 12 labours uh, one by one. We'll take it in turns. We're going to give a very brief idea of what is um, important about these labours. Um, and we're going to take it in turns. I'll, I'll start with the Nemean lion. Now, the Nemean lion is a really important one because it's his first labour. So he's given this uh, this um, set of labours um, to uh, perform and he skins the lion and he wears it. So very often that is then how you recognise Heracles because he's got a lion skin on his head. The next labour is the Linnaean Hydra. You can just call it the Hydra. The Hydra was a beast monster with many heads. Um, the, the twist, however, was that every time you chop off one of those heads more heads grow, two more heads would grow back in its place. And it, uh, its blood was poisonous. Now, um, Heracles found this understandably very challenging to defeat. So he had to get help from his cousin, Euleus. Um, eventually he managed to defeat it by uh, cauterizing. So he chopped the neck off, cauterized, so burn the, the wound so that a head couldn't grow back. Um, There's also a giant crab that made things even harder. Um, but um, he eventually chopped off all the heads and took the original head, that's the undying immortal head, and buried it under a pile of rocks. Uh, he dipped his arrows in its, in its poisonous uh, blood of, or, or venom, so which, which are useful later on in his life. But uh, he did get help from his cousin Euleus, which meant that this labour, unfortunately, didn't count. Third one was the golden hind. Now, a hind uh, is just a deer. So you'd think catching a deer isn't very difficult, but this was a very fast deer. Um, and he took a whole year before being able to catch it. The key thing, I think, um, to focus on for the golden hind um, is that it was actually sacred to Artemis. And so Artemis and her twin brother, who you will know was Apollo, got very angry that Heracles um, had 
basically caught the hind. Um, and uh, it was only when he explained that it was part of one of his labours and that he had to do it um, that they kind of let him off in a sense because, uh, you know, the gods don't all sort of necessarily uh, agree with each other. Um, but when he explained, um, they, they allowed him to continue on his way. Uh, the next one's the Aramanthian boar. Nice quick one. Uh, a boar is a pig, a pig-like creature. He had to capture the Aramanthian boar. Now, to make it a bit more heroic, it was a very big pig, a very big boar that had been terrorising the countryside. He, he chased it through thick winter snow, uh, caught it, bound its legs, took it back to Mycenae, which is where uh, Eurystheus was. And Eurystheus was so scared that he hid in a pithos, that's a big giant jar, um, which shows the king's cowardice, and then by sort of contrast, Hercules, Heracles' bravery. Number five is the Orgean stables. Now, cleaning some stables uh, doesn't sound like much of a Herculean task, but here they were very, very dirty. Um, and so therefore trying to clean it out basically involved him having to uh, redirect a couple of rivers, uh, which he did, which shows his cunning, shows uh, how he thought his way around it. Rather than just getting out a very big brush, um, he actually found a way of cleaning uh, the stables um, immediately. Um, you don't need to know the names of the rivers, um, but they were the Alpheus and Peneus. Now, the key thing uh, to remember about the Orgean stables, as well as his cunning that he used in it, is that while he was there, basically he was so delighted um, to have uh, done the task that he founded um, a uh, sport fixture which was known as the Olympian Games uh, the Olympic Games rather um, and uh, the Olympic Games um, will we will come back to that when we talk about um, Olympia um, but uh, it was for this very reason that the Olympic Games uh, existed and exist now of course um, and it's to do with uh, Heracles uh, celebrating his father's use. Uh, the next labour are the Stymphalian birds. Uh, basically, there were some birds and they needed killing. To make it a bit more heroic, some people say that the birds ate people. Um, now, uh, he had to get the birds uh, to, to fly in the air. So to do so, he needed some help from Athene. So she gave him a rattle. When he shook that rattle, which was made by Hephaestus, um, the birds flew into the sky and he took them out with his bow and arrow. Now, one of the kind of questions you might get in your exam is how heroic was Hercules or some kind of judgment task. And you can talk about the fact that he used physical brawn for lots of his tasks. He used his strength to muscle, the, to, to, to beat the lion and various other animals. He used his brawn, but in this one, he used his cunning to uh, rouse the birds into the sky and he used his skill of an archer to take them out. Great, so the next uh, is, we're now more than halfway through um, and it's the Cretan bull. Now the Cretan bull is an interesting one. Um, Number one, basically, uh, Heracles was uh, now, he had a sort of modus operandi or a kind of a, a way of uh, acting. He, he decided that it works really well if you strangle these big <laughs> creatures. And so at this point, that's just what he used against this idea of uh, Heracles. Yes, he's cunning, but actually he's not afraid to just do something that he knows works. So he strangles the bull. The key thing on this one to remember is that this bull doesn't then die, he actually runs off and wanders out to Marathon 
And this is the one where um, when we come to talking about Theseus um, later on, Theseus actually then has to reconquer it. So in a way, uh, you could sort of argue that Heracles didn't do a very good job because uh, his mate Theseus has to come along um, and do the job all over again. Great. And you might be asked to compare uh, Heracles to Theseus and ask who's more heroic. Um, the next one is the mares of Diomedes. Mares are horses. And Diomedes was the king uh, of the Bistones, which is uh, the people in Thrace. And he had horses which he fed the limbs of enemies and passing strangers. So these were man-eating horses. Um, Hercules defeated the stablemen who guarded the stable. Um, he took the horses. Um, Diomedes then went out to battle Hercules, Heracles um, and Heracles left the horses with his companion Abderos. So off Hercules, Heracles goes, he fights and defeats Diomedes. However, um, the horses overpowered Abderos and ate him. Um, this obviously upset Heracles, so he took Diomedes and fed them to his own horses. Now, the, the eating their own master uh, sated their appetite and they were no longer uh, trying to eat human flesh. Um, Heracles then took the horses back to Eurystheus and the idea is that they um, calmly roamed the plains of Argos afterwards. Again, you might use this story as an example of Heracles as, as not being particularly heroic in that he naively left these mounting horses with his friend Abderos and uh, wasn't, didn't turn out well for him. The next one is the belt of Hippolyte. Now, Hippolyte was uh, a queen of the Amazons um, and for the Greeks... This idea that the mighty uh, hero Heracles might have had to defeat a woman might have seemed a bit odd, but these were not just any women. These were the great race of female warriors uh, living right up in the wilderness of the Black Sea. Um, and the Amazons uh, that she was queen of um, end up being a really important idea for the Greeks. Um, we're going to come back to this idea of what is known as the Amazon Amazonomachy, okay, or the Amazonomachy. Um, is something that the Greeks put on their temples um, and make pictures of it quite a lot. But uh, Heracles um, was uh, actually, initially, it didn't look like it was going to be very difficult because he turns up and he says to her, can I have your belt, please? And she says, yeah, OK, there it is. Doesn't sound like it's going to be a very impressive um, labour. And yet... Basically, Hera steps in at this point, and this is a good way of uh, demonstrating quite how much the goddess Hera really hates Heracles. She says, right, we're not going to have that. He then, uh, sorry, she then um, spreads this rumour that Heracles was going to run off with Hippolyte herself. And then the Amazons turn up and try and fight him. And he ends up having this this terrible battle in which he kills Hippolyte and has to steal her belt. So it's a way of Hera turning what seemed like a really easy win, an easy task, into something that ends up being um, very vicious. Great. Now, this is uh, the next labour, which should have been his last one. This is the 10th labour, but as we mentioned earlier, two of his previous labours didn't count. Um, the reason he had these labours, by the way, was because um, he'd been driven to madness by Hera um, as punishment. Um, and in that madness, he'd killed his own children and wife. And these 10 labours, supposedly 10, um, were punishment for doing that. Now, uh, 
this wasn't his last, as we'll learn the two more. So this one is the cattle of Gerion. Cattle, cows, Gerion. Who was Gerion? Um, he was a man um, with three heads and three sets of arms and legs. So quite easy to spot in imagery. Um, and he had a dog called Orthrus with two heads. Not to be confused with Kerberus, who had three heads. So Gerion and Orthrus uh, had some cattle. And Heracles' job was to go and fetch them because they had lovely red skin that uh, Eurystheus wanted. Um, Heracles managed to defeat Gerion using his club and his bow and arrow. Once he'd got the cattle, he had to then steer them all the way back to, uh, to Eurystheus um, from Erytheia, which is where he'd caught them. And that journey involved going through southern Italy. Now, this becomes really important in the next little bit we're going to look at, which is the Romans' attitude to Hercules. They really liked him, and one of their links to him was the fact that he travelled through southern Italy, where Rome was going to be founded. It wasn't there yet, um, uh, whilst leading the cattle of Gerion home. Once he got back to Mycenae with the cattle, Eurystheus sacrificed these cows, these bulls, to Hera. So, it turns out it wasn't ten tasks, um, and he had two more because, as uh, we've already said, the, uh, the Hydra um, didn't count, and nor did the Augean stables. So, onto the apples, the Hesperides. Uh, now, these weren't any uh, any old apples; they were a wedding gift to Zeus and Hera. So, therefore, getting them back was going to be a, a real challenge. Um, and this again is another example of Heracles um, being cunning. Um, he went to Atlas, who'd been tasked with holding up the skies by Zeus, and Atlas said, yeah, all right, basically, I'll get the apples if you hold up the sky. Um, and At Atlas uh, then gets tricked into taking the uh, the sky back, and Heracles uh, runs off with them. Another key thing about this uh, myth, it's, it's quite a long myth, but uh, I'm not going to go through the whole of it. Um, he actually goes to a place called Illyria, um, and Illyria is uh, a place which becomes really important because it's also where he finds the river god Achelous, or the river uh, Achelous, who turns out to be this shape-shifting creature um, who we're going to hear about um, in one of the Roman myths um, later in this uh, chapter. Okay, and the final uh, task was um, Kerberus, the three-headed hound of hell. So uh, Heracles um, had to pop down to the underworld and fetch this, this guardian beast. Um, obviously, to go to the underworld, he needed to get the favour of Persephone. Remember, we learned in the last uh, podcast that she was down there with Hades. Now, to get into her favour, he was initiated into the Eleusinian Mysteries, which is a mystery cult dedicated to, to the underworld. Um, once he got to the underworld, uh, Heracles was met by Persephone and Hades, and they gave him a challenge. He had to capture Kerberos without any weapons. Obviously, we know that Heracles is a good wrestler and strong with his arms, so he used the stranglehold that had been so useful against the Nemean lion and the Cretan bull, uh, captured this three-headed beast, and when he presented it to Eustheus, um, the 
Cerberus was then returned to Hades. So, in an exam, what are we going to say if we're given a metope of Hercules? Yeah, the examiner makes it really clear they want you to do three things when you're talking about a metope of Hercules. They want you to say whether the sculptor has created a scene that is recognisable. So can you tell what is going on in that image? Talk about what you can see. I can see a bull. I can see a club. I can, I can see um, some apples. Or it, even something about Heracles, such as, you know, you can see that he's got the Nemean lion cloak on. Uh, the next thing they want you to do is talk about realism. So does this look realistic? Good words to use when you talk about something realistic would be um, musculature. So has the sculpture created muscles that are reacting? So if somebody's stretched over to their side, are their muscles tensed up, tor- contorted? Are the, is the pr- another good word to use on realism is proportion. Is the head in proportion with the body? Is the horse in proportion with the human? There's an example of this, by the way, on page 32 to 33. Um, and they take uh, the metope of Heracles wrestling the Cretan bull and they give some examples. They look at abdominal kind of lines. You don't need to know all the details of exactly what, you know, pectoral muscle is doing and, you know, muscular that sort of thing. But some sort of idea of, you know, an example of the sorts of things you could say there. And the other buzzword to use on realism is drapery. On page 34, you can see a lovely... Metope featuring Athene and there are realistic folds in her dress. So realistic drapery, clothing. The final thing they're looking for is how well has the sculptor filled the space? So if there's lots of background or gaps in the metope, that is poor use of space. They've left big blank areas. But if they've got characters, like three characters standing in a line, for example, um, or two characters who are crossed like a pair of scissors, um, then the artist, the sculptor, has used the space well. So just to recap then, they're looking for, is the image recognisable? Is it realistic? And have they filled the space? Okay, so at this point, uh, we move on to what the Romans said about Hercules. And that's a bit of a weird one in a way, because, of course, Hercules was a Greek uh, hero, and yet the Romans really loved him, so that they use it. Now, at this point, I'm going to suggest, if you haven't got it right in front of you and you haven't just read it, then pause this podcast and go and read that section of the Prescribed Sources booklet um, on Virgil Aeneid, because that's going to be the story of Hercules and Cacus. Okay, welcome back. Um, And uh, we're going to just talk a little bit about what the story of Hercules and Cacus tells us. We're not going to recap the story. You will have read it. So you know that Hercules uh, was on his way back with the cattle. We talked about that, travelling through southern Italy in an area that would become Rome. Cacus is the the antagonist, this terrible beast. The author creates a horrible image of Cacus by telling us how gloomy his lair was, how ferocious this half-human beast was, the the body parts that are always around him to show that he's a threat, and that he's cunning. Cacus um, steals the cattle and walks them backwards to confuse Hercules. So he's up against a frightful foe. Um, But the ever-heroic Hercules defeats Cacus, as a consequence, Evander, who is the man around this area at the time, who's a Greek 
priest, sets up, pours a libation in thanks to uh, Hercules. Hang on a second, Mr. Watkins. What's a, what's a libation? Should we have a quick recap for that? So whenever uh, in a religious setting you pour, typically wine, um, into, onto the ground or onto an altar, you are pouring a libation. It's an offering to the gods. Great. So Hercules becomes this hero who has a hero cult set up for him. And basically the Greeks, um, and in this case the Romans, wouldn't just have worshipped the Olympian gods, but they would also worship these heroes like Hercules. So they set up a hero cult to Hercules here. And we can see how important this, this cult was because later on Aeneas, that hero we'll learn about in a later module, comes to Evander's city. Um, and and goes to to make offerings to Hercules. Good. So that's the story of Cacus. Um, we've got a couple of other stories. Um, one of them uh, involves a centaur, which is always nice. I always like uh, centaurs. Um, and one of them is a river who turns into a bull. So what's not to like about that? So right now, pause this podcast, get your OCR sources booklet out, and read the prescribed source of its Metamorphoses book nine. Okay, welcome back. Um, and uh, we're going to just talk through a little bit about uh, what the story of Achelous and the story of Nessus tell us about Hercules. So the strange thing here is that Achelous is a river. Um, a personification, if you want to use long words, but he is the god of a river or he literally is the river and Hercules has to fight a river. And the, the storyteller here, Ovid, um, likes playing around with these ideas. So in a sense, it, you get this image of Hercules sort of diving into the river and yet the river is the thing that he's fighting. And yet the river is not just a river, it's a god. And therefore it leaps out and, you know, they have a conversation. Um, and uh, basically he then, uh, because it's a shape-shifting river god, uh, then turns into uh, a bull. Um, and there's a, a, a story about, uh, about the horn. Well, whilst re- he, they go into wrestle mode now and he grabs hold of the horns and he snaps one of them off and that horn becomes the cornucopia, this symbol of plenty we looked at in module 1.1. Of course, so connected with the uh, god Pluto or, or Hades um, because of it, it being uh, a, a chthonic um, uh, symbol. Of course, Hercules defeated river Achelous. Um, why were they fighting? They were fighting over the right to marry the princess Deianira. Yeah, so um, basically Hercules uh, and uh, Achelous basically have this um, argument about who should uh, marry her. Um, And Hercules says, well, of course, you know, I'm, I'm... descended from gods you know my 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 dad was a god i had done these amazing labors um and Achelous basically starts kind of arguing back at him and says well you know actually i'm a god i'm not just uh you know a man who's who comes from gods um and says well you know in any way the labors really were not a very good thing because you shouldn't have had to do them in the first place it's really down to your own um kind of uh, misdeeds that you ended up having to do them so Hercules uh, defeats Achelous and uh, marries Deianira and he brings his new wife home to Tiryns, which is the second Mycenaean city, which we'll look at in the future. Um, as they're arriving home, they have to cross the river Evenus. Um, it's too deep to walk across. Um, Hercules could swim across, of course, but his new wife Deianira couldn't. Fortunately, the centaur, what's a centaur? 
So a centaur, as we know, is half man, uh, half horse. Very important as to which half is which. <laughs> uh, it is the man who has the uh, sort of head, arms and torso. And then from about the waist down, um, you've got horse so um, the centaur in this case was called Nessus and he said he was going to help uh, which is very nice of him uh, so whilst Hercules swam across he offered to carry across the princess Deinera. Um however he ran off with her so again we've got this idea of uh, not being able to trust sometimes the kind of um, the, the figures who turn up in these stories um, Hercules in this case uh, is the one who is trustworthy um, and is sort of civilised in a sense um, but uh, the, the, the cloak of Nessus becomes really important um, because Deianira later on and this is how um, Her- Hercules actually dies Deianira actually makes a present of the cloak of Nessus um, and Hercules was ignorant of what would happen and therefore he put it on um, and the uh, the cloak caught fire and stuck to his skin so he actually builds himself a funeral pyre which is kind of this wooden uh, structure that the Greeks would have used and the Romans would have used um, to uh, cremate somebody's body and to set fire to somebody's body after their death he jumps onto the funeral pyre um, and uh, then kind of there's this moment of uh, Jupiter or, or you know the, the king of the gods Jupiter um, giving a speech um, that Hercules is so impressive and has done such great deeds that in a sense he is beyond just being a uh, human being he should be a god so hercules here is killed effectively by the trickery of juno that's the roman name for hera but in death he's praised by jupiter the king of the gods and he's and, and he asks that hercules be granted uh, status in olympus so hercules then in death is deified he is made a god Okay, so that really sums up um, the two uh, different cultures, Greece and Rome's approach to Hercules. In both of them, he's a slightly mixed figure, but in both of them, he is uh, deified. He's turned into this god and becomes a very, very important figure um, and one that there's plenty of stuff um, that you can say about him, um, both from the pictures, but also from the stories. A great bit of revision to do right now would be to get a piece of paper, put two columns, good and bad, or heroic and not heroic, and list all the things you can remember that uh, Hercules, Heracles has done, whether they were heroic or not heroic.